raising them to physical life. How, how powerful that is. And then I realized that's not near as powerful as laying hands on somebody and in water, you put them down in water and back up in the name of Jesus Christ and they go from death to eternal life. You talk about resurrection from the dead. There's nothing more powerful than that. You can raise somebody physically from the dead and they die in their sins. You raise somebody from death to life in the eternal realm. Eternal life. Can you imagine a greater miracle than that? I've seen the dead raised. How many people have you seen baptized into the name? I want you to know that's a resurrection into eternal life. That's, that's a resurrection beyond anything physical. Praise God. What a great God. What a great name. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go with me to the book of Exodus chapter 26. We had a fantastic time at the, the youth event that the De Lorenzes hosted at our church. And um, our, ladies, our ladies just blew the walls and the, the doors got loose and the ceiling started shaking. They, they did their sign language song to uh, Jesus said it. And oh man, you talk about some power. There was some great, great power you could just feel in the room. What a great What a great thing to have God anointing our every age in our church. Young, old, doesn't matter. Every age anointed by the same anointing, by the same power, by the same glory. Verse number 1, Exodus 26. Is everybody there? Right. Moreover, thou shalt make... The tabernacle, everyone said the tabernacle, with ten curtains of fine twined linen, blue, purple, scarlet, with cherubims of cunning work, shalt thou make them. Then it goes into describing these, and uh, they're made out of ten separate curtains that are coupled together, and into five curtains and five curtains, and then those two are coupled together. And the Bible said they take hold of one another. Verse number 6, at the end of the verse it says, And it shall be one tabernacle. Now verse 7, it says, Thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair to be a tent says covering in the King James, but it's tent. Notice, a tent upon the tabernacle. Interestingly enough, these 11 curtains of goat's hair are never called the tabernacle. They're the tent on the tabernacle. Verse 14, Then we we're, here's the third word used for Covering, sanctuary, tent. Here it says, And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red, and a covering above of badger skins or seal skins. 
Those are kind of opposite animals, by the way. <laughs> it's badgers and seals. Interesting. I, I don't believe that beauty is only skin deep. Do you? I don't believe that beauty is skin deep. Praise God. I think it goes deeper. You can be seated. Exodus, the, the making of a sanctuary that God might dwell among his people. It's an amazing, it's an amazing work. And I'd never really noticed before uh, the separation that is made for the different layers upon this, that make up this dwelling place of God. The tabernacle, the tent, the covering, and then the Bible talks about the hangings. And that would be the veil into the holy place and the veil into the holiest of holies. Pretty amazing. As you look at the first the first layer that is called the tabernacle. That's God's dwelling place. Um, God anoints people with His Spirit, gives them the, the wisdom that's in His Spirit, and all the ability of the Spirit to produce via embroidery work called cunning work. These, these people that are... Whatever they were before the Spirit, they are transformed into master craftsmen. The, the, top of, the top of the line weavers, they didn't go to weaver school, they got the Spirit. The Holy Ghost came upon an individual named Bezaliel. And with the Holy Ghost came the ability to make the entire tabernacle. And the miracle of that is, is he didn't just make the tabernacle, he made the tabernacle Moses saw. That, that's pretty amazing when Moses sees, and then he gives you words, and you make what he saw. Isn't that amazing? I want you to make cherubims, that's all he said. I want this fine twined linen... To have blue, to have purple, to have scarlet. And then embroider cherubims in it. And then it looks exactly like the cherubims that he saw on the mountain. That, that's the Spirit of God working to produce everything that he wants based upon his word. Because we don't know what a lot of things look like, we just have his word. We don't understand a lot of the how it's going to become and what it's going to appear as, but God's Word is enough with His Spirit working inside of an individual to produce it. And so, as you read about the uh, fine twine linen, you'll notice when it came time to make this beautiful sanctuary, that's the first thing that's made. Not the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is the first a uh, piece of furniture that's listed, but in Exodus 36, when he actually begins to make the, put it all together and craft it, he begins with these fine twined linen 
ten curtains that are the tabernacle. What beauty. I, I can't imagine when you think about the finest, the finest linen, and then you add in these colors, and then you add in these, these cherubims that we've not heard about since the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was the first and the last time that we were introduced to any kind of cherubim. And it was a cherubim with a flaming sword that turned in every direction guarding the way to the tree of life. You're talking about when you see cherubims, you're also seeing paradise. He's standing at the edge of Eden, paradise, and making sure that Nobody enters in. And so the next time we see cherubims, you are seeing cherubims in a realm of paradise. They're inside this, this, this tabernacle. They're, they're the tabernacle. But it's a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing beauty to behold heaven as you look up in the ceiling if you're inside of the holy place, the holiest of holies. If you were inside the actual structure of the tabernacle, you would be able to see those cherubims and those beautiful colors as they're all mixed together. And only those individuals and Moses know what it looked like. We think of cherubims in our head, but we've got no idea what it looked like. We, we don't even know what the Ark of the Covenant cherubims look like. We can just use our imagination based off of the Word, and that may or may not be what it looked like. But, but whatever it was he saw, that's what was made. And I think, I think as we're looking at this, you, you start to understand that what you and I see, what you and I behold, you're, you're talking about this is the place where the Scripture said the glory of God, the glory of God lived with Israel traveled with Israel, but there was glory inside of this structure, his presence. We understand that the heaven and the heavens of heavens can't contain God, but the part of God he was manifesting for Israel was inside of that tent. There's no greater power than that power, because Moses said the only thing that makes us Your people is your presence. If we don't have your presence, we are not your people. Because it's not our worship or our actions or our, or our law or anything that we do that makes us your people. It's only your presence. Your presence, and if you don't go with us, we're not going. Because the only thing that makes a distinction between God's people and everybody else, the Holy Ghost is there. That, that's how you know a real church. Where is the Holy Ghost? That's a church. Doesn't matter what the name of the church is. If God's Spirit's in that church, that's God's church. Praise God. So, glory's here. Glory that's so dangerous and so holy that the Scripture tells us that Aaron's two oldest children... They, they bring in what the Bible only describes as strange fire. And he kills them immediately. Boom. No second chances. Just killed. And, and Moses said, you want to know what happened? This is what the Lord meant when he said, I'm holy. You're to make me holy. 
Oh, that, that's a scary place. You remember that when Moses uh, was walking on the backside of nowhere one day, and then all of a sudden it turned into the mountain of God. That's how we're introduced to that place. He's Exodus 3 and 1, the mountain of God. Don't, don't look in the Bible for that place because it didn't exist until just now. But wherever he was walking, all of a sudden became the mountain of God. It wasn't named that. It became that. God took it over. God's there. And he finds that out when, when the Scripture said he hears a word saying, Take off your shoes. Because where you're standing is holy ground. I want you to know the sanctuary he was standing on, this the same kind of sanctuary that the priest and his sons ministered in. They were so clothed with glory. They were so meticulously covered everywhere but their feet. They wore no shoes and they wore no socks. They went barefoot. In that place, because what Moses experienced was inside of that tabernacle. It was holy ground. The place you stand, take off your shoes. When Joshua walked into the promised land and began to walk around surveying Jericho, and he runs right into the captain of the Lord's host, the same thing happened. Take off your shoes. Where you're standing is, this place has become holy. I want you to know that's the sanctuary. That's a place, my friend, of complete and total dominion. It's a place like none other on planet earth. No one can enter in except for Aaron and his sons. And even his sons, when they come in wrong or killed. Bible said every time they entered, they had to wash their hands and wash their feet. Every time. When they came out, they had to do the same thing. Wash their hands and had to wash their feet. If they didn't do that, God would kill them. I'm talking about a, this place is so powerful and it's so potent that in one day, God can take all of the sins of Israel. And He can atone for them. He can take all the sins of Israel on the seventh month and the tenth day of the month. He can lift the sins off an entire nation. He can literally atone for all the sins of Israel in one. That's a potent place. That's a potent place. (laughs) And there's something so foundational about the tabernacle. You'll you'll find fine twine linen in other places. You're going to find it. On the courts, you're going to find it on the hanging of the door and the hanging of the gate. You're going to find it in different pieces of the ephod and the, the curious girdle of the ephod and the breastplate of judgment. You'll find fine twine linen. You're going to find blue, purple, and scarlet. Those, those elements are, are going to be around the tabernacle area, but their foundation is this this, this inside view, this inside ten curtains coupled together that make up the tabernacle. That, that's their foundation. And there's only one other, there's only one other identical piece that is, that is literally made exactly like those curtains, and that's the veil into the holiest of holies. 
It's the same fine twined linen, it's just smaller. And instead of it being coupled together, it's just hanging by four pillars. But it's the same blue, scarlet, and, and uh, purple with cherubims. And that's the only other place where you've got embroidered cherubims. And, and so th- this comes after the revelation of the tabernacle. Tabernacle, tent of the tabernacle, and covering. The three layers. The tabernacle's the linen. The tent of the tabernacle is hair. On top of that is skin. Skin, hair, is the tent of the true tabernacle, God's sanctuary. And, uh, and it's exactly the same as the veil. Except the veil's just a smaller piece, but they're, they're, they're twins. Except for that the tabernacle, that inside layer, is in the holy place and in the holiest of holies. It's everywhere. Everywhere you can minister inside the tabernacle, you can see that inner layer. And so it's not limited to the outside, it's everywhere. And then a, then an identical piece of fine twine linen is hanging as a veil between the golden altar and the Ark of the Covenant. And it's through there one time a year only. Not for Moses. Moses could go there any time. But one time a year, Leviticus 16 said that Aaron could, could come up before that veil and create a cloud of incense. And the Spirit would take him through that cloud into the holiest of holies. A miracle going through the veil. He didn't lift up that veil. He was, he was brought through that veil. And that's where he would make atonement for the, the sins of Israel. One man. In that one place. What a, what, a, what a miracle place this is. This is a place where you take your shoes off. This is a place that you've got to have such a reverence and such a fear. You've got to have your hands washed and your feet washed or you'll die. And you've got to do it every single time. And it's in this place where the, the light of the golden candlesticks are flickering inside of paradise here. Where there's cherubims flying over your head. And you've got the beautiful colors of heaven. Of blue and scarlet and purple. And, and then there's this next layer where God brings you through it. But it's got the same seal. Just a, it's a deeper dimension. The Bible, the Bible tells us of this, and so I'm looking on the outside. I see, what do I see? I see skin. That's what I see. I, I just believe that I don't see everything there is to see. When I'm looking at what God is doing, could you on the outside of that tabernacle that looks like seal skins. Could you look at that and say, oh, glory's there. Would you ever look at that and say, if you're looking at porpoise skins, seal skins, whatever they were, when you're looking at that, would you ever stop and say, I've never seen such beauty. Oh, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever to behold the beauty of the Lord. What beauty are we talking about? Are we talking about the drab gray seal skins? Is that what we're talking about? No, no, you look on the outside. You look on the outside, and that's how every single man will look is on the outside. You look on flesh. But if you're looking on skin and you're looking on hair, 
You're not seeing the glory. That, that's what you're not seeing. You're not seeing the glory. Can I tell you what Jesus was? The Bible said that He was tabernacled among us. That, that's what He was. You're talking about a tent on top of glory. You're talking about skin and you're talking about hair. When you're talking about flesh, you're talking about skin and you're talking about hair. I'm talking about the flesh of Jesus, not His glory. That, that's where you're talking about it's hidden. You look upon Him and there's nothing about what you see that causes you to desire. Name one person that walked up to him and said, oh, you're obviously God. Nobody did. God tabernacled among us. It's a, it's a covering and it's a tabernacle of skin, just like you got hair, just like you have. That's what it is to become a human being, skin and hair. You break it down to the outward appearance, that's what you're talking about. Outward appearance is skin and hair. And that's why Paul said, you, you can know, you can know him after skin and hair. That's what he said in 2 Corinthians 5.14. He said, hey, guess what? We did used to know him after the flesh. But no more. No more. I want you to know that's what his body is when you're talking about the body of God, God manifested in flesh. You're talking about the tabernacle of the true tabernacle. Remember that, that you never call those 11 curtains of goat hair the tabernacle. They're the tent. And then the ram skins on top of that, and then the porpoise skins or seal skins on top of that, they're called the covering. But only the fine twine blue, scarlet, purple, cherubim's linen is called the tabernacle. That's where God is. You, you on the inside, you don't see hair. And on the inside, you don't see skin. On the inside, all you see is the heavenly glory. That's all you see is the heavenly glory everywhere. On the outside, I don't see any heavenly glory. I see, I see skin and uh, more skin and then hair. But on the inside, it's nothing but glory in heaven. You're talking about when Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. The Bible said he was sitting on his throne. You know what his throne is? Is those two cherubims. That are upon on top of the mercy, they're, they're the mercy seat. He sits on that. And then the ark is his footstool. And then the scripture tells us we, we come and we worship at his footstool, talking about the, the ark of the covenant, because that is where his throne is. He sits. He sits between those cherubims. But, but remember, there's cherubims over his head. They're in the ceiling. They're in the linen. And Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He said, I saw Him sitting on His throne. And He said, there were angels over Him. There were angels over Him. I want you to know that's that, that, that right there in the tabernacle is a snapshot of what Isaiah saw in his vision and what John the Revelator saw in the book of Revelation where we see the Lord and we see Him on a throne and we've got these beasts and we've got these angels. That's His kingdom realm, what you're talking about. You want to know where the King is? He's inside this 
He's inside what you can't see any glory in. (laughs) Praise God. Nobody looks at him and says, oh, your glory. No, that's that Jesus' skin and hair. That's what you call a human being. Had flesh like you got. Spirit. A human spirit like you've got. Soul like you've got. The Bible said he's, he was made every way like us. Except he's not like us. Because he's his own daddy. That there's a part of him. We don't know what part, right? Because he's not taking over the human part. He's not, he's not not making it to where the Lord feels grief. I'm talking about human grief right before you raise somebody from the dead. You're grieving over him. Three verses later, you raise him. That, that's crazy. He felt. He was, the Bible said he was, he was shaken. He was troubled. That, but that, there's a part of that human spirit. There's a part of that that's not Holy Spirit. But there's Holy Spirit somewhere. Because it's God tabernacled in flesh. There's a part in the, where is it? It's not, you can't look and say that, that, oh, I see God in your eyes. That's what, that's what God looks like, Jesus' eyes. We don't know what color his eyes were. We don't know how tall he was. We, we've got so little about his physical descriptions. We, we couldn't even come up with a calculation. The Bible didn't say he was, he barely made it inside the door because he was too tall or too fat or he was too skinny. The Bible don't say anything about the physical. We barely get any kind of glimpse because it's not God. It's man. It's man. I'm talking about what it is for, for God to grieve. Over resurrection? No, 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 that, that, that's a man. That, that's, that's, a, that's a friend. That's somebody who literally did love Lazarus and felt it. He felt the grief like a human being feels when we lose somebody. I want you to know it's not not spiritual for you to feel grief. The Lord felt it right before He raised Lazarus from the dead. It's obviously, it's obviously there for, but I'm talking about just the, I'm talking about the tabernacle of the tabernacle. The tent of the tabernacle. When you're talking about the God part of the Lord, the Bible refers to it as the veil. His flesh. His ministry on planet earth. The scripture tells us the whole point of it was to get to Calvary. Because it was going to be on the cross, the Bible said that the veil was ripped. And the scripture said, Hebrews 10.20, that is his flesh. Remember, that's a part that's exactly like the whole. It looks exactly like the whole tabernacle. But it's just a part of it. It's a piece of it. It's not connected to, I'm talking about God manifested in flesh. I don't know how in the world the God part of Him was there. But the Bible 
said it was God manifested in flesh. But what he was doing is he was coming to do away with every bit of layers that would separate for there to be nothing but the true tabernacle which the Lord has pitched and not man. We're getting rid of the veil and we're getting rid of the skin and we're getting rid of the hair. You understand what I'm saying? When you're talking about the the man, when you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about glory, yes. You're talking about, oh, God made it. God has prepared it. It's after the pattern. But you're talking about Jesus. You know what you can't say about Jesus? He's the one that was in the beginning. You know what you can't say about the man born of a woman? He made woman. No, he was made of a woman. No, he made woman. No, no, you can't say the man did it. Because the man's literally made of a woman. Understand, Jesus was a man. He was was the God-man. But who who in the world knows where the God part was? Because there's no infant God. Right? All of a sudden, our God turned into a two-month-old baby. Who are we going to pray to? <laughs> no, no, there's a piece of God in there. But whatever part of God is in the, in the man is there. I mean, it's hidden for most of the time. We don't even, for him being raised and all that stuff, he's not even around. 18 years are missing. One moment when he's 12, a couple of people talk when he was a baby. His whole 30 years are gone like a vapor. Because that's what man's life is like. And the Bible tells us Paul knew him after the flesh. He knew him. He was one of those that believed he's a liar and a blasphemer. Why? He he called himself one with God. He is a man. is making himself like God. That's Paul's testimony along with everybody that sentenced him to death. Why? Because I know him after the flesh. All I see is seal skins and ram skins dyed red, and all I see is hair. I do not see the heavenly glory that's veiled and hidden unless He wants to show it and reveal it. If, if He says, if He says, my Father's doing it, He does it. If He says, God's doing it, He's doing it. But He's just not just doing everything. You see them walking on water, but you don't see them walking on water every day. They get in a boat. He he walks on the water once. He gets through a storm once, stops it, peace be still. But, But if I could walk on the water, that's all I would do. I wouldn't take a boat. But he's not showing that. It's it's glory coming out of the veil every once in a while. It's glory that's coming and revealing itself once in a while. All of a sudden, you don't see hair and you don't see skin. You see somebody glowing and his clothes are glowing too. And you're like, my goodness, look at this. He's transfigured. That's what Jesus is. Look at your head. That's all Jesus is. That's why when you start talking about the glory of your Savior, you do not start in the Gospels. That that is such a limited view if that's who we are made to be. Are we made to be like, or are we made to be like the one from the beginning to the ending? You understand the glory of, of Jesus Christ. It didn't start with the woman. It started before the beginning. 
The glory of Jesus Christ. The part of God that could never die. You know God can't die. You can't kill God. He's got to become, he's got to, he's got to become a man. And the man dies. But God can't die. Are you telling me that the flesh was God? God was in the flesh. Hey, you cut me, I bleed Holy Ghost. No, no, he was literally human being with the Spirit. In your hands I commend my Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's human spirit. That's him giving up life. That, that's what he's doing right there. The same Spirit you and I breathe out at the end, he breathed it out. It wasn't the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about, Father, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Scripture. It's, it's not failure. He's quoting himself. He wrote this scripture many, many years before. The man, skin, flesh, didn't write it. But the God in the man wrote it. Understand, that's what we're doing. We're going from, we're going from man to God in this passage. We're going from man to glory in this place. And that's what our Lord did. He came down as that tabernacle. You wouldn't know he was God until the Bible said it was ripped. And all of a sudden now, there's, there is nothing but glory. All of a sudden now, it's not hidden. And all of a sudden now, we don't look on the outside. All of a sudden now, every single one of us is allowed to enter in. Every single one of us is allowed. We've got to wash first. Yes, we've got to wash first. But we enter in. And we enter into the holiest. And there's no limitation. And it's nothing but glory. <laughs> Praise God. I'm talking about inside that real, the real tabernacle that only the priests saw. They could only see it in candlelight. I'm talking about you couldn't see everything in candlelight. It's not like lighting up a room like we've got here. You've got one part of the room with seven sticks of flame on it. I don't know if that's going to light up everything. But dimly you can see. Dimly. Can you imagine how much looking down them guys did? You're talking about dimly you can see. Because what I'm looking at here is over there. It's on the other side of the veil too. This here is a, is a glory that's over there too. It's the, the same from here to there. And that's what you're talking about, my friend, when you're talking about Jesus Christ. The greatest way to look at that is two halves. They're coupled together. I started looking at this because my parents' 50th anniversary. So I, so I do what I always do. I typed in 50. Because I'm going to find whatever the Bible says about 50. And that, that's what I'm going to talk about. And this, this tabernacle has 50 loops. They come to 50 loops. And they're connected by 50 golden clasps. And it's made into one tabernacle. And I think you could look at that and say that's the old and that's the new. That, that's a, it's the one, the one God we worship. You, you can see He's in the old. Cannot say that about a man. You can say that about God. The one God's in the old and the same God's in the new. It's not a different God. It's the same God. But the Bible said that that same God came down. Came down in flesh. That veil came down. That veil stood up on Calvary. That was written. Now there's no limit between us and heaven. 
That's what the Bible said. By Him we've got access. Nobody had access before. One priest had access one time a year. Now we all have it. And it's unlimited. We go boldly to the throne of grace. And we're going after more than skin. And we're going after more than hair. What did the Lord say when He's talking about Sarah? He didn't say that's the most beautiful woman to walk planet earth. Even though apparently she was. And we know, we know that because 90 and pregnant and the, the king of the Philistines took her. <laughs> Most of the kings of the earth are chasing after 90-year-olds. <laughs> That's why the Chinese had those small feet because it was a 90-year-old that had those small feet. No, it was a little child that had those small feet. Anyway. But here, here you've got this most beautiful woman, and the Lord says, but it's not, it's not that. It's the beauty. You've got to go deep. We talk about it being skin deep. No, no, no. It's way deeper than skin deep. When you talk about God's glory, isn't it kind of hard to see it? Well, God, I'm looking in the mirror. Have you ever just been by yourself in the mirror sucking in your stomach? How crazy is that? I do it all every single time I'm in the mirror. I'm like, I better suck this in. Nobody's around. It's just me. You're just looking in that mirror and I'm not seeing glory. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing devastation. I'm seeing destruction. That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing gravy. <laughs> gravy in a sack. Hanging in the air is what it looks like. Oh, it is. Tied off and then hanging over the side. I better suck that. That's not glory. It's skin deep. No, no, no. When you talk about what you and I have right now, it's not about the, the outward appearance. That's why Paul said no more. I was wrong about Jesus because I looked at the flesh. He said he called himself the Christ. I said you're a liar. You're worthy of death. And everybody who believes in you is worthy of death. And so he said, I went after them. Because they were all blasphemers declaring that they believed in somebody who lied and said he was the Christ. But here comes the revelation to Paul. And Paul hears that voice from heaven and says, hey Paul, guess what? It was me. It was me. You're talking about persecuting people that are believing in who you didn't believe in. I'm telling you, you're wrong. He said, let me tell you, that Jesus of Nazareth, you sentenced to die? That, that, all that was, was God tabernacled in flesh. That was the Christ. That's become, been made Christ Jesus. You've got to understand that the image of God is not like you. You know that, right? Because the Bible said that God made man in his own image, and we take it to be male, female, our outward appearance. And we just know God don't look like a man. No, 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 it's not about outward appearance. never has been, especially in the kingdom of God where it says there's no more male or female. That's tough to go outward. Because you know what? Male and female don't look the same. Right? I want you to know when people become God and make God, when they become like God, they change His image. I'm, not, I'm 100% against any kind of surgery 
for cosmetic purposes. Where you're adding something to your body that is not real, but you're becoming the creator. And you're making yourself in your own image. And it's not ever going to be based off of God's will or God's design. It'll be based off the gods of this world. And and so, I'm against that kind of stuff because you're becoming God. You're creating. I'm not a man. I'm a woman. You're making yourself in your own image. You're, You're a God now. You're taking God's place. You are born a woman. You're always going to be a woman. And and only women can have babies. That's the way God made it. God created male, female. That's it. And so you're not looking. Because the Bible said in his body, there's not even black. Or kind of black. What do you call that? Cream. Cream, right? I don't know what you call it. There's There's a saying. I forgot what it was. See, but Sister Reagan's a little darker. You have three different shades right here. We're all, they're all black. Look all the shades of white we got here. Then we've got brown over here. And the Bible said none of that's there. None of that's there. You see, because you're making a mistake when you look at a teenager. And you see age. And you don't see the eternal. Because the eternal is never limited by age or time. The Bible said that He made man fully mature. That's how God begins with His new creation. Full grown, fully mature. God didn't require for Adam to be a baby, then grow up. And for Eve to be... We were childhood friends and then we got married. No, they were born fully grown. They were born fully grown and God brought them together. And they were made, they were married together, joined together. And it was marriage from Genesis in the garden to Revelation 22. Marriage from the beginning to the end. All of them in paradise. All of them around the tree of life. It's the same picture. It's just heaven on earth. And what God's doing in the new creation, you can't look at each other. You cannot look at flesh. Paul said we don't know each other after the flesh because you'll be a racist. Everybody's racist. There's not one person that doesn't think they... Why why wouldn't anybody want to be white and a quarter clink it? That's what I think. I don't think everybody should be black. I've never been black. I don't think everybody should be fully native. I never have been. Dad's brown. He's half. I'm a quarter. His mom was full. You, you don't. That, that's racist. And so we look around at one another, and that's what we look at. Mexicans like worshiping. You know the Mexicans? They just like worship. And that's a fact. That's what people say. If you go to a Mexican church, it's a very, very fast beat. It's like, oh, they're just crazy. It's like, no, no, no. Has nothing to do with being Mexican. Hey, you know the you know that black culture, they just are all into talking in tongues. No, it's not the culture. You you know that no, 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 no. I want you to know it's all one in the body of Jesus Christ, and there's no lukewarm and crazy. There's no parts that are I like to worship and parts that are like, oh, that's just not me. No, we're all the same, and we're all one, and we're all commanded to praise. We're all commanded to worship. We're all commanded to give all our heart. We're all the same, 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 same. Everything's expected of every single one of us. And so when I begin to look at the glory of God, 
And I begin to look at the temples of Ashtaroth. And I begin to look at the temples of Baal. Oh, it's different. It's different because it's all outward. It's all outward. And I'm looking over here at sealskins. And they start getting attracted to this every time. Oh, it's bright and shiny. It's the outward appearance. It's the outward. That's what it is with, with religion. It's outward. It's, it's just the beauty is only skin deep. Hey, we're just committed and dedicated. We don't got no power. We don't have no spirit, but we come to church. We come, we listen to our guy preach, and, and he tells us what the Bible says, and we just believe and go on. We, 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 we're just, we're dedicated. Skin deep. And it doesn't matter how dedicated, it doesn't matter the sign of dedication, flesh is flesh. And flesh never produces spirit. And so what I'm doing in my flesh, the Bible said, it's not gonna be a good thing. No, no, no. It's, it's not gonna result in spirituality. I cannot eat and get spiritual. I can't not anything in my flesh be so dedicated, get up exactly the same time, say the exact same prayers, quote the Lord's Prayer, not whatever it is, skin deep. I want you to know the glory of God that's inside of us is so beyond skin deep. It's here and it's there. It's back there at the beginning and it's already in the eternal realm. You want to know why we believe that there's, there's, there's emotional healing? Let me, let me tell you, and I'm, 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 I don't believe that counselors, psychologists are going to help. Because all they do is, what do you think? Well, what do you think? Let's really track your problem. What does that do for anybody? Okay, my, my dad's brother was an alcoholic. I think I had an uncle that was a, he was a crack addict. She was a good woman. And you're going down this list trying to find out what? You're trying to find out all the, all the problems? And that's going to help you? A, a, a genealogy of failure? But the reason why there's healing in the church is because our God's here, there, and there. And there. You can't go there. What you remember about there is all you got. Whether or not it's the truth, we don't know. Because you don't remember the truth. You remember what you felt about the truth. You remember what, what you felt about what happened. It doesn't mean you know exactly what happened. You don't remember exactly the situation. For the most part, it's gonna, your memory is gonna be a piece and it's probably gonna taint it and it's not gonna even be the truth. Not in every situation anyway. But the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost can be there. And He can be here. And He can do something all the way back where it happened in your life. The thing that devastated you. The thing that ruined your life. The thing that's handicapped your soul. God can bring a healing to that human being right there that changes what you've got going on right now. The same yesterday, today. For the God that was in the beginning is the God that's in Spokane, Washington. It's the God that's in eternity. He's not limited to skin, and He's not limited to hair, and He's not limited to a spot on the planet. 
when I look at you, I can't see you because it's going to limit me. I was, I was beginning to, to, I was beginning to, uh, well, I was, I was thinking about preachers and, because I'm a preacher, and pastors, I was invited, actually, my, my family was invited to Alaska for the minister's retreat. Our way, our way was offered to be paid. We just didn't feel like going. And, but anyways, I was thinking about it. And I, was, and I was thinking about the pastor or the apostle or the prophet. You know, every single one of us is a saint. Every one of us. But not all saints are called to preach. Not all saints are apostles. Not all saints are prophets. But every prophet is a saint. All of us are brothers and sisters. All of us. Every single one of us, we are called beloved. That's every single one of us. Every one of us is called the children of God. Every one of us are called sons of God. You, daughters of God say, but we're all called the same. Children. Co-heirs, joint heirs. Every one of us. Every single, that you could go on and on and on. We're all called believers. And there's some of believers that are gifted to be an apostle. Or gifted to be such as... The Bible said, here's what the Lord came looking for. Worshippers. That's all of us. He didn't come looking for preachers. He came looking for worshippers. Worship in spirit and in truth. And, and so, I got to thinking how dangerous it is. Because you're gifted. This is like, you know, the gifts of the Spirit. Some, some of us exercise in gifts of the Spirit. Bible said it's given to all of us. So every one of us does. Every one of us, some gift of the Spirit, we're in it. And that's the same thing. It's just gifts that are people. But it's the same spiritual gifts given to the whole body. Of, and so like, just like how you know something about somebody that you couldn't have learned about them online, and, it's, it's, and you speak it to them and it changes their life, you didn't know that. You, you couldn't figure that out. You don't, Brother Dunn doesn't know how to give an interpretation of tongues. He doesn't have a standard tongue interpretation. No, it's the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost does it through you. It's grace given to you. We don't ever learn how to heal somebody. I can't lay hands on you and God go to 1973 and heal the, the old you. I can't, I can't, no, 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 I, can't, I don't even know that about you. But I can touch your head and God does it. It's called the gifts of the Spirit given to everyone to profit everybody. And it's the same with these spiritual gifts. It's just, it's offices. You know, but it's, here's the thing about it. It becomes dangerous in this way. The Bible tells us about Solomon. 
The scripture tells us that Solomon, he went to the altar of Bezaliel. The Bible said he offered the most sacrifices ever recorded. In one day on that altar, a thousand sacrifices. David and his men had offered 3,000 sacrifices on the altar he had made on the threshing floor. That was the altar he had made on the threshing floor. It wasn't the altar at the tabernacle. Solomon went to the tabernacle, offered a thousand sacrifices on that altar. And that night he dreamed. That's when he gets this gift of wisdom and riches and honor. It's all spiritually given to him. When you read that Solomon made gold and silver like stones, as common as stones, that's a gift from God. He didn't do it. When you hear about Solomon's wisdom that's greater than any man that ever walked and all the kings are coming to him, that's God's wisdom. It's not his wisdom. It's a spiritual gift. Same with the honor. What you didn't ask for, I'm going to give it to you. He got that after a thousand sacrifices at an altar. But it wasn't because of the sacrifices or the altar. It was a gift. You know what Solomon said in the Holy Ghost as he begins to write? He says, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But that's not where he started. He got his in a dream. And his life shows you what it looks like when what you got as a gift becomes your identity. But you never got the fear that it's the fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. And if you don't start with reverence, you'll have 700 wives that all have their own God. And you build their God's houses. So you build a temple for Israel's God. And then he built temples for everybody else's gods. And he, he allowed for his wife to sacrifice and burn incense to their gods. And yet the wisdom never went away because it was a gift. And the gifts and the calling of God are what? Without repentance, meaning he won't change his mind about what he gave you. And if you don't start with the fear like everybody's supposed to, it starts to mess with your identity. And you say, you know what happened? My wisdom never departed from me. That's what he said in Ecclesiastes, except it wasn't his wisdom. It was a gift. And so I was thinking about that because I know a lot of pastors and preachers, ministers, who are no longer saints, who are no longer worshipers, who are no longer believers, who are no longer brother and sister, who are no longer one in Christ Jesus. I know a lot of, a lot of apostles and prophets that that's who they are as an identity. And so that means that I minister to sheep. I'm a shepherd. Or, 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 it's a gift. The reason why you can preach and it works, it's a gift. Don't ever think that the gift is because of you. 
Don't ever think that the success or the working of it or the efficaciousness of your prayer or your preaching or anything you do in the Spirit is because of you. And the moment you begin to think it is because of you, you start becoming a different category. You start becoming a different kind of a, hey, you, they're saints. And then there's us who minister to saints. You've got, you've got worshipers, then you've got people who lead worship. There's no such thing as a person who is a worship leader. There's worshipers who lead. Worshipers who lead. The danger is that all of those become an identity. And so if I'm not leading worship, I'm not worshiping. That's all over planet Earth. And I'm telling you, it's dangerous. I just felt a conviction from God to my own self. There's no point in time that I can be on a platform and not worship. This ain't about me testing out the Spirit because I'm here and you're there. I'm a saint just like you are. I'm a believer just like you are. I'm a worshiper just like you are. There's no separation at all. And so if somebody's got to, everybody's got to. If God calls one of us to do it, all of us are called to do it. If it's required of any one of us, since we're all one. I don't teach you how to forgive and I hold grudges. Just because I'm a preacher, I'm not allowed to cuss. Just because I'm a preacher doesn't mean I'm not preaching to myself. This ain't a word for you, it's a word for us. It's a, it's a word for one. Who is this word for? Everybody is who it's for. When any time somebody preaches, whether it's Tuesday with Brother Dunn or Sunday with me or whoever it is that's preaching, it's not a word for one or a word for somebody. It's a word for us. It's a word for us, preacher included. It's not some people come to the altar, but it wasn't for you, so you don't move. No, it's a word for us. But the Bible said that, you know, there's only one person in the Bible that said they loved God. You know that? And it's Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, verse 2. Solomon loved the Lord. Nobody else, not even David. Is that amazing? You're talking about somebody who loved him. When this flow of the sacrifice and the gifts come, you're talking about a lover of the Lord at that point who is also loved. Jedediah is his name. It means beloved just like his father David. You're just beloved in a different form. The Lord named him beloved. So the one who is loved is loving. And this is a one-time deal. And he's going to offer more sacrifices at this altar than anybody in history. Talking about somebody whose heart is right. The Bible said right now, he's walking in the ways of David, his father. And that's all the Lord ever asks of him. Be like David. And the Bible said he is, except he's more, he loves the Lord. Of course, we know David loved the Lord, but he just literally says that. And he comes to this altar sacrifices. Here comes the, here comes the victory of this gift. The Bible said the temple is finished. And it's time for the greatest prayer in the Old Testament. 
It's an unmatched prayer, the one that Solomon prays. 1 Kings 8, 2 Chronicles 6. But 2 Chronicles 6, verse 13 says that he got on something called a scaffold. It was a platform, that's what it is. He got up on this platform to, to preach to the people. Remember, he's called the preacher in Ecclesiastes. He's the preacher, the son of David. He's going to declare God's word to the people. And then he prays probably the most theological prayer ever prayed. At least that we have recorded in Scripture. I mean, next to John 17. But he stands up on this brazen scaffold. And he gets down on his knees before the people. He stretches out his arms. And he begins to pray. And it's such a powerful prayer. It's so anointed of God's wisdom. The Bible says it ends with the fire of heaven falling on the altar. Oh, what a, what a, what a moment. And the Bible says, and this is what I was noticing, is that that scaffold was the exact same size as Bezaliel's altar. Five by five by three. So in other words, your platform can only go as high as your altar. And as long as it's the same measure, glory's there. Solomon's not living in sin. He's not being corrected. Solomon, his prayer brings fire down. He builds the temple. He finishes it. And God's glory fills it to the point where they can't even enter. The Bible says when they brought in the Ark of the Covenant, the cloud of glory came. And they couldn't stand. But after Solomon prayed and the fire fell, the Bible said the glory came so thick they couldn't even enter. That's different than not being able to stand. They couldn't even enter. There was a difference when the ark went in and he prayed. The the lover of the Lord, who's loved of the Lord, there's this massive connection going on with heaven and he's on his knees in front of the people. And he's praying and the Bible said, boom, fire comes on that altar. And the scripture said that place where he was praying became hallowed ground. And they offered that day 142,000 sacrifices. And they had to hallow that ground, Brother Dunn. Because the altar he had just built, which is 20 by 20 by 10, was too small for those sacrifices. And I want you to think about the fact that's 142,000 sacrifices. And they had to hallow out that place where he was standing on top of that scaffold and kneeling because it was too small. That's the only time it's ever too small. And I want you to think about that because the scripture said that David partly numbered the people of God and just with fighting men, there was 1,550,000. Every, every one of those men is called to come to the temple three times a year with sacrifices. So if 142,000 is too big, 
and the altar's too small. What would one million sacrifices be like? What if, what if, what if the two million that should show up showed up? Just the males called three times a year to come and they gotta bring their sacrifices. I'm talking about too small, 142,000 required us to hallow out the middle of the court to sacrifice on? Can you imagine? That was the high point of Israel's sacrifice. They saw glory. The most beautiful temple on the planet. And it was never too small again. And that's the new altar. Talking about a man who's experiencing God. In glory, he was called to build it. He would never fail because he was called to build it. Everything was gifting. All of it was gifting. And the Bible says there's something about Solomon. He's got a heart for something that's illegal, but it's legal for him. And that is he offers incense on his altar. He offers incense. Nobody's ever been able to do that before on the brazen altar. There's an altar for that, but it's only priests can touch it. But he's offering incense. He said, I'm building a house to offer incense. To burn incense to him. And the Bible said that three times a year he came, sacrificed, and offered incense. You know how he's identified when he's in the Holy Ghost? When he's singing in the Holy Ghost, the Scripture identifies him. Who is this? Coming up out of the wilderness, he looks like a pillar of smoke he smells like incense myrrh that's what he's that's his spiritual identity he's not just offering incense that that's the way the holy ghost looks at him have you ever smelled solomon the bible said he smells like myrrh and he it just describes incense that's all it's describing between the, the 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 bride and the groom she's being described as incense You're talking about love, and you're talking about incense. The Bible said, but the problem is, is he began to offer it to all those other gods. But there's something about that. There's something about the challenge as I'm on my knees looking at 20 by 20 by 10. You know, that's the exact same size as the treasury that's above the holiest of holies. The treasury is 20 by 20 by 10. You know what's in the treasury? That old altar. Bezaliel's altar. David's tabernacle. Moses' tabernacle. Everything that was dedicated by Samuel, that horn of oil, that anointed son, it's in the, it's in the treasury. All of the dedicated things in the treasury, the legacy, it's all in 20 by 20 by 10, and that's the size of the new altar. And isn't that the challenge to Solomon? Because you're, you're so gifted that you need a bigger altar. Don't you, isn't there something about that? That when you're gifted, it plays tricks with your identity. And you start thinking it is you. I am my gift. Who are you? I'm pastor. 
You'll never hear me introduce myself like that just because I have a personal problem with that. Because I'm Greg Glover. I'm not Pastor Greg Glover. That's something God called me to. He can take it away tomorrow. That God can, God can call me to be something else tomorrow. That's not who I am. But when, is it, when it becomes who you are, and you're, you're one of those that God has graced with the glory and the measure. Paul said it was the measure God gave me. And I'm maxing it out. But God gave me that measure to reach even to you, Corinth. I didn't, I didn't pray that measure. God gave it to me. But if it becomes Paul's idea, you want to know why Paul has a relationship like what Brother Dunn was saying with humility. I need a word from somebody. I need a word from somebody. It's because he recognized the greater the calling, the greater the altar. You need to upgrade the size of your altar, Solomon. You've got to upgrade it. You've got to make it the same size as the treasury, the treasured things of God, the room that's over the glory and the holiest of holies. Man, that word, Brother Dunn, I'm done now. I'm not done. But that was such a powerful word, Brother Dunn. Because I'll bet you there's guys, we know big, big, Big ministries that crashed and burned. I'll bet you that's why. Because nobody was giving them a word. Pray for me. Pray for me. Could you lay hands on me? But who's praying for them? Paul needed it. He said, God had mercy on me. I wouldn't have made it without him. Think about that. Think about Paul saying, pray for me. That there could be a door of utterance open. That I can preach how I'm supposed to preach. He's intimidated by his calling. He's intimidated by the greatness of it. He's intimidated by it. It requires a boldness. It requires an authority. And it's intimidating. And Paul said, I need you to pray for me. It's too much. It's too beyond. It's too great for me. But Solomon is becoming his wisdom. Now we're just thinking about the Queen of Sheba. When she showed up there, the Bible said the gift that she brought was spices. In an amount that has never been equaled. Is that the greatest gift you could give to an incense offerer? Oh, you couldn't get a greater gift. Somebody who looks like incense. Who smells like incense. Except the incense is no longer going to God. It's going to be who he loves now. His wives. So he's no longer loving the Lord. He's loving his wives. And this glory, this incense, that's going to change the atmosphere in the temple, it never does. That altar's never too small ever again. And Solomon lets it happen. Because his heart is this direction. And God's wisdom and riches and honor is still flowing through it. And you talk about somebody getting ready to have a collision with eternal death. It's when I can still preach and I can be a porn addict. I can still lay hands on people and God works it. 
And it's not you, but it starts to feel like it's you. And I don't have to pray anymore because I got the gift of faith. I'm just saying stuff I've heard before. I don't got to pray because I got the gift of faith. I don't this because I this, and I don't this because I this, and I don't worship because this, and I don't move around because of this, and I'm all these, all these things, and they be, you become something that I want. Your platform is up here, and your altar's like this right here. Bible said, everybody, present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's preachers, apostles, prophets. That's every believer, every saint of God, every child, every teenager, every adult, every grandma. Have you ever seen people retire from worship in the Bible? There's Sarah's laughing at 90-something years old. She's just getting a new realm of glory. Everybody that hears is going to laugh with me. You talk about an upgraded. That's 90. We don't retire from God. None of us do. It's a dangerous thing. When you start looking on the outward and it doesn't match glory. In us, when we begin to to begin to believe. I'm going to have to bring that point up later. I just feel this in the Holy Ghost. There's nobody that's too gifted to not die in a lake of fire. Nobody's salvation is guaranteed. Nobody's salvation is guaranteed. Here's where we're sitting, Sister, Sister Moore. We got the preacher's table. Then we got the stupid sheep. That's a joke. <laughs> the stupid sheep. And you only say stuff like that if you no longer believe you're a sheep. The Bible said we're all the sheep of his pastor. How many? All. But we've got sections. We've got sections. Why? So, so who's praying for who? The preachers come up here. Not one scripture that ever says only preachers are going to pray for people. Come on, preachers, you get up here. Hey, I bet you I, I want to tell you something. You better, if you don't listen to every word your preacher says about your life, you're going to hell. No, it's every word the preacher says about God's word. That's the only thing that matters. His word? No, it's God's word. You only got authority if it's God's Word. And there's all these kinds of schisms and isms and stupid things that are out there called theologies and honor. No, no, no. I want you to know there's people whose lives could be saved if there would be a challenge, if there would be a brother show up in prison saying, God called me to pray for you. God called me to reach out to you. You need a word. You need to repent. You need to turn around. platform and my altar. If they're not the same size. You start checking out that throne, Brother Dunn. I don't, I don't think it was just five cubits high. Twelve lions. Ivory. Gold. Never, under, never another throne made like that. He's already got one. He inherited his father's throne. He was sitting on his father's throne. Why do you need a new throne? It's because I've gotten away from my altar. And it's no longer about platforms for prayer. Now it's about new thrones. Now it's about new glory. 
right now, it's about, and everything you got, Solomon's from God, and you're going to die lost. Think about that. You could talk in tongues. You could have a gift of this or a gift of that in your heart. Just be wicked. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the transformation from there's good guys and there's some good guys to looking at the body of Jesus Christ and not seeing outward appearance. You're not looking at, hey, there's apostle done. When you look at the body of Jesus Christ, we're seeing Jesus Christ. When we're looking at the body of Jesus Christ, that's who we're looking at. We're looking at His glory and it's so massive, it's got to be spread out by everybody. Millions and millions and millions of people that are all being used in the Holy Ghost and it's still not the full stature and measure of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Every miracle that's performed today in the name of Jesus Christ is still not the full measure of Jesus Christ. We still have not attained unto the full stature of Jesus Christ. Millions of miracles and that's just a piece and a part of Him. The glory of our God is so massive. I can't look at the outward. I'm done with that. <laughs> that I don't know. It just I don't know Solomon from from anybody. Oh, that just hurt my soul. The Lord says I appeared to you twice. It's not common. First time after his first altar, and then the second time right after the new altar. I want you to know that things are growing. That's a mass. That's four thousand square cubits. You know how the this the, the first the altar he was at was seventy five cubits square. That one's four thousand. You talk about capacity, but from the get go, it's too small. Doesn't, doesn't that kind of make you feel like there's something else? If day number one is too small, is there, is there greater? Is there mightier? I'm talking about an altar that's as wide as the temple is. 20 cubits wide. 20 by 30 by 60. It's as wide as the church. It's as wide as the temple. And it's too small. can't imagine if everyone in Israel saw their right to bring sacrifices on the day of Pentecost and the day of Tabernacles and the day of Passover. Everybody brings it. Oh, talk about too small. My, my, my. I mean, how, how much slaughtering would we have to be doing? Too small, Brother Dunn, for one, one service. And God's glory. You know, that's the one and only time you read about His glory in that temple. Hmm. What's next? What we going to do next? Can you imagine having a gift like that and you do what's required three times a year? 
You live right next to the temple, next door to it. And you go into it three times a year. Are you God? Did Solomon, did he answer your prayer with fire? Yeah, because that's only, that's only Moses, Aaron, David, and Elijah. That's a pretty small group of people that have altars answered by fire. Huh. Do you mean to tell me, Solomon, you woke up like this? This graced? This blessed? You know, Solomon was, he was between 12 and 16. I always thought of Solomon being some 45-year-old. He's between 12 and 16 when he becomes king. Four years later, he starts building that temple. You're talking about someone who's probably not even 20. And he's already got this wisdom. What kind of a God are we talking about who blesses us? What's he looking for? He's looking to be loved back. And you get creative with this psalm. If you want to add incense, you'll be the first one, and I'm taking it. I'm taking your incense! <laughs> you don't have to offer incense. I'm going to take it. You don't got to bring it. I'm going to take it. Why would you bring incense? Because look what God's doing in me. I need to have a bigger altar. Because I've become bigger and more magnified than anybody on the planet. The Bible said his understanding was as the same size as the people. He had a heart like the sands of the sea. And the Bible said that Israel in the same chapter had become so large like the sands of the seashore. He had the heart, wisdom that matched the people. But the Lord said, you know what? You're not even matching David. He, he, you started out just like him, but you're not even matching David anymore. And I'm willing to forsake this house if you forsake me. That's all on Solomon. Why did it become a byword? Why did the temple get destroyed? Because of Solomon. The Lord said, you, if you do such and such, I promise you, I will make this church a byword and a mockery. Think about that. We're talking, the treasures are immediately plundered. What's in there? The stuff David dedicated. The stuff Samuel dedicated. What do we got in there that they dedicated? Saul, Abner, Joab, anybody else who wanted to dedicate? Not counting all the tabernacle stuff. you got treasures being plundered because of Solomon. Don't, don't you just believe? When you begin to talk about the glory of the Lord, I've got to have worship that matches glory. And that's, that's a never- Big enough. It's never going to be big enough. And I've got to live in that realm where it's never big enough for my offerings. It's never big enough for my worship. 
where it's never big enough for the amount of incense I'm bringing before my God and I'm coming every day I can. Not what's required. Not when you've got what you got, Solomon. I appeared to you twice. Can you feel that from the Lord? I appeared to you twice. Who else is getting this in your age, Solomon? I appeared to you twice. Oh, what, what's God done for Greg Lover? I could never be enough worship. There could never be enough sacrifices. There could never be enough whatever. But it's always got to be where I'm bringing to God more and more. And i got to make it too small. I've got to make and keep my altar too small. Because I've got something that you can't contain in a person. I've got what's, what's the size of a nation inside of my heart. I should worship like a nation worships. That's what he's got. Sand of the seashore, understanding the size of a nation. Huh. I just believe the more blessing, the more you need to be worshiping. I just believe the greater the power, the greater the humility. The greater the reverence. The greater the revelation, the greater the reverence. There's got to be a, it's not me. I'm starting to get myself tricked and think it's Greg Glover. No. No, no, no. There's nothing about Greg Glover that you behold that changes you. Stand with me, please. But on the inside... The inner man, there's, a, there's an eternal being. Whew. Then when I lay hands on you, he's laying hands on you. I can't look at how short you are, how tall you are. I can't look at your age. I can't look at any of those. If you're in the body of Jesus Christ, we're one. We're the same. A common thing that was around when I was growing up was, man, we got to get these kids worshiping. Thank God I had a dancing dad and worshiping mother. But there's a lot of guys that we got to get these kids worshiping. I said, clap your hands. Walking, you know what? Pet, one of my pet peeves is that right there. If I've got the mic and I say, clap your hands. And I'm like, I said, clap your hands. And I'm walking around like, I'm smelling the Spirit. I said, praise. And I'm not praising. If I'm requiring you to do something that I don't do, us parents, we need to get those kids worshiping. And the kids are, the parents are in church. And the pastor's saying the same thing about the kid, the parents. That the parents are saying about the kids. And on and on and on it goes. No, we're all worshipers. If one's a dancer, we're all dancers. If one is a shouter, we're all shouters. If one's in the altar, we're all in the altar. That's an everyday thing for the church. 
We, we don't stay in our chair. If one's called to the altar, we all come to the altar. Don't, don't you agree, Connect Point? If we are the body of Jesus Christ, it's not just two or three that need the altar. We're all coming to the altar. When we stand, we all stand. When we give, we all give. When we worship, we all worship. Because there's something, there's something in this room that's so much greater than what we can see. There's something around you so much greater that if you could see it, you would not hold back. If you could see what was in somebody. If you could see the inside, the tabernacle, the glory of God. If you could see what really is trans, what's being given at this altar, you'd be at the altar. You'd be worshiping. If you saw that gate, of heaven brother Dunn we'd be standing there going where are you I need you God where are you oh yeah when you believe in the body of Jesus Christ you ask somebody to pray for you you just ask them can you pray I need healing you you don't wait for a special moment anybody can pray for you anybody can lay hands on you anybody's got wisdom for you Come on, this is the body of Jesus Christ. There's glory. It's beyond skin. It's beyond the hair. It's beyond what you can see. It's eternal. It's yesterday, today, and it's also forever. And it's inside of you. Oh, satabarikos.